Sunday, June 28, 2009, upon further review, episode number 71. In this episode, we deal with celebrities lost, fantasies found, and even a fan film. It may seem a bit eclectic, but it's all part of the coherent mix that we like to call Upon Further Review. Okay, upon further review, I'm Greg. I'm Clea. And this is episode number 71, and uh, we've got a lot to get through. Yeah, I think we should jump right in. Okay, um, we are going to do that. We are recording this actually in Seattle. Uh, We are visiting family out here, and I just did a reading for my book, The Third Sign, on Friday. So we are uh, on the road, literally. So this isn't just, you know, out in the living room while Senevine sleeps, although she is sleeping. And we are in the living room. We are in the living room, but not our living room. No. We're in Clea's mother's living room, and uh, we are on the West Coast. So, um, but it's not going to make a difference as to when you get this, I think, because uh, that's the wonder of podcasting, Clea. Yeah. Wonder uh, of podcasting and recording. It is. Anyway, everyone can go to your website to hear about your book and all this stuff. Let's get right to our UFO. <laughs> okay. Let's stay focused here, Let's, let's stay focused. Okay, that sounds good. So we want to thank everyone for listening, as always, and remind you that you can find all the information you need at furtherreview.net. And we've got three things for you in episode 71. We're going to start out with really the big news of the last week. I shouldn't say the big news. The big news is what's going on in Iran, but the, <laughs> which which a friend of ours, which Russ, who's been a guest star before, has pointed out. Um, comparatively, uh, the death of this celebrity is not as big a deal, but nonetheless, yeah. it is a major issue, and that is the death of Michael Jackson. We thought that since we have not reviewed him yet, it would be appropriate, given his passing, to talk about him. So we're going to start by talking about Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to move on to review a book, which I have just completed. It's actually about a year and a half old, but this is written, with all disclosure, by a friend of mine, a writer friend of mine, David Anthony Durham, who wrote a book called Acacia, and I was really intrigued in what he was doing, and I thought it would be a good um, project to review on the show. So we're going to talk about Acacia next. And then we will conclude by talking about a film which we just saw called The Hunt for Gollum. This has been out for about a month, month and a half. I've been making the rounds of the internet. This is actually a fan-produced film of a Tolkien world, obviously, a story that Tolkien originally told in one of his books, but has now been brought to film by fans. And we were actually surprised about the quality of this fan film. And so Mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Okay. All right. So we're going to get started by talking about Michael Jackson, and you can find more information about him by turning on your computer <laughs> and going to the internet. No, you can find more specific information about him by going to uh, michaeljackson.com. Michael Jackson passed away a few days ago. I believe it was June 25th of what they're calling cardiac arrest. He was 50 years old, and he was just about to start a new tour. But for those of you who've been living under a rock, uh, Jackson has been called the king of pop, and for good reason. He is one of the most successful solo artists ever, producing an incredible amount of hits, and also producing an incredible amount of video hits, too. He really sort of kind of made MTV the sort of force that it was, I would say, in the 80s and 90s with things like Thriller and Beat It and Billie Jean and all that kind of stuff. He also played a role in uh, 3D movies becoming something uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. He had the thing down at Disney World, right? Yeah, Disneyland. Or Disneyland, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Captain EO or something, I think it was called. Which, there was, I forgot this, but they mentioned in one of the things I was reading that there was a, he had originally been rumored to spend time in an oxygen chamber and apparently it was a, and they actually had a picture of him lying backwards in this chamber uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. And it turns out that he had actually disseminated the rumor because he wanted people to get all set up for him as a science fiction guy in preparation for that movie, Captain oh, EO, gosh. which I think is kind of interesting. I guess jumping right, that jumps right into just, I just feel that, I mean, putting his talent aside, okay, let's, let's acknowledge his talent. Okay, there, it's acknowledged. It's, it's too bad we don't he have a chance to acknowledge just, his talent more. Well, wait, though, we'll, we'll, we'll begin into that, everything though. Everything that is worse, the yeah. worst about stars in America. Yeah, if there's anything that's sort of symbolic of oh, what stardom God. does in America, I think that what happened to Michael Jackson fits it. I mean, his level of talent, his skill was extraordinary. Even if you didn't like that particular kind of music, if you listen to an album like Thriller, it's an incredibly well-crafted, well-put-together album. Uh, and he was, as opposed to many of the supposed triple threats today, an actually good dancer. He was an actually spectacular performer. And he had not only a career with the Jackson 5 as an R&B guy, but then he really redefined pop in the 80s and even into the early 90s. And so, you know, as a musician, um, he had great talent and great skill and did a lot with it, you know, despite all of the stuff that happened. But the other side of it, as Clea mentioned, was the controversy which surrounded him, the rumors, the sort of oddness about, you know, the mystery, what was wrong with him, what was with the monkey that Can he had around, what was with a, the kids. An extremely you know? gifted artist and not be a freak? You know, I think you can. I was thinking about this the other day. I think you can, but I think that it requires people around you to keep you grounded if you're really at that level. And I don't think he ever had those people. I mean, remember that his father was abusive. I think his siblings were supportive, but, you know, it's not like Janet Jackson is the most completely normal person either. I mean, he, and Latoya, well, I understand. Oh my I mean, God. We, we talked the other day so, about Tom Cruise and... And Mel Gibson and yeah. one of the issues being that they're surrounded by people that continue to make them feel like they actually are what they press clippings say they are. But, I mean, we can go back in like, you know, centuries ago where extremely gifted people were cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And but that, that was the same reason, though. They had their hangers on and their, their people who, not just the people who kept telling them how great they are, people who just weren't normal either. You know, people who weren't sort of grounded. You know, Michael Jackson's best friend was Liz Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor <laughs> is not the most, uh, you know, normal, straight-ahead person uh, in the world either. And so I think that that was, that was kind of part of it. So I think you can be, a, a, you know, close to musical genius and, and be normal if you have that. But I think if you don't have that, and clearly Jackson didn't, it's hard hard not to just sort of descend into ever, you know, progressive weirdness, um, which is really unfortunate. I mean, because if you read a lot of the things that happened to him, the big thing, of course, was the whole child molestation case about 10, 15 years ago now. That case, as it turns out, was never proven. The state actually dropped the case for lack of evidence. And the kid who had been accused went on later on to say that he had been put up to a lot of it by his family, that it's sort of seen an opportunity to cash in. And so it doesn't surprise me, but it does surprise me a little bit that he was that vulnerable to it, you know, that he would be that open to things well, I mean, um, but that's the being thing, taken right? advantage of. If you're weird of, enough, people are going to use the opportunity to put... People believed it, right? Because yeah. he is so odd. Yeah. They thought it. They could say, oh, I can see him doing that. Yeah. And it just and then it just spiraled out of control. I so, guess so. I mean, I, I think that the weirdness does play a role in it. Can you also say that his vulnerability to the media made that him the risk? Yes. But then you, on the flip side, you can say, well, but he's also used the media to get lots of money and to get where he was. So, sure. you know, and his two ego, sides of the sword. Uh, right, exactly. And in fairness, I mean, his ego was, uh, there, was there, there was no trouble with that. I mean, I remember, I believe the album compilation that he came out with was called uh, History, I believe, you know, his underlying story. And the front cover of it had this big statue of Michael Jackson on the front. So, I mean, it's not as if Michael Jackson was this 
this complete innocent guy and, you know, you know, just a wonderful down-to-earth person that the media misunderstood. Part of it is he also cultivated that weirdness. He was egotistical. So it wasn't all that it was just poor Michael Jackson. But I do think that he kind of got chewed up and spit out a little bit. And that's, you know, part of the whole process. I mean, we were talking about what happens to his kids and all that stuff. What's going to happen to them now that he's gone? Or is his, is his mother going to get them? Is his one of his two wives, you know, Lisa Marie Presley or this other woman, this nurse that he was married to? Only one of the kids is his genes, but all of them he's adopted most likely. Right, yes, yeah, something like he that. He had full custody of all three of them. Yep. So it's weird. It's hard to sort of assess him as, as a musician, just himself. I'm just scared of what those, what's gonna, what those I know. kids are going to be like when they grow up. I know. I know. It's <laughs> that kind true. of stuff freaks me out. But you know, the I mean, like if you listen to all the musicians that admired him, if you listen to people like Quincy Jones, who produced Thriller, or if you listen to like Paul McCartney, who obviously corresponded with him, yeah, uh, collaborated with him, and all those kinds of people, you know, it was obvious that he had a big impact on the music world. And, you know, leaving his weirdness aside, I mean, he was a very gifted performer and musician, too. I mean, there are no, some I people know, who I think. Said that, so I was going but I guess what I was going to say was, I think there are some people who make. A career out of their weirdness. I don't think that was him. I think his weirdness was a side effect or a byproduct. Okay, I could agree with but that. But it wasn't like he was Marilyn Manson, who you know, no, who doesn't have talent and makes that. it, you know, so. Like um, Cindy Lauper. I mean, I think she's extremely talented, a wonderful person, but I do think that she kind of used an oddballness as a way to yep. get attention. Yep. Um, while him, I do think that it was his craft, and then with the abuse and with the with having millions of people screaming your name and yep. and with all the different stuff that having you know your life under a microscope for that long since he was what five yeah that that can stuff can do too i mean look at britney spears i mean she's got off the deep end too yep absolutely and he you know and then he had all the, the plastic surgeries and you know all these kinds of things and i guess when we found out that uh, a couple of days ago that he had died i think the reaction that everyone had was just kind of Wow. You know, I mean, he's been such a huge part of popular culture. I mean, think of it this way. Who would have imagined that someone like Mike Tyson, right, the boxer, would have outlived Michael Jackson in a way? That's funny. I, I didn't feel that was the response at all. I, I, I thought the response was, yeah, I could – you're like, oh, well, it was a only matter of time. I mean, he was so stressed. That's and interesting. I wasn't surprised at all that he died. Well, no, I guess it's not – that's not what I mean. I guess I mean – that he's sort of so woven into the culture, you know, that you don't, it's it's sort of hard to kind of conceive see, of a world in which I he's mean, not around in some respects. See, I, you know? I disagree with that as well. I mean, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I would agree with you. You don't think I, anymore? No. Well, they Who said talks about Michael Jackson anymore. His friends said that he was had this big comeback thing that he was going to be doing, that he was going to have this 50, uh, right. 50 well, stage but, tour but that, that he was happen. on, but it didn't happen. And, I mean, he, he's, he's been on it for 10 years. He, he had a slight attempt to come back, and he had this whole birthday thing where you know people did performances for him. And a very, I mean, I don't think there was anywhere in really interesting except for maybe huge fans. I just. But think about all the other viral stuff. Think about the, um, some of you may have seen on YouTube, the um, Philippine prison inmates doing the video of Thriller and that was you know relatively recent that thing went viral and that sort of sparked yeah, interest in him again. a bunch of Filipino inmates were dancing all together it had nothing to do with the fact that it was Michael Jackson. But would they have done that though to any other video to any other person? I don't think so. Would, mm-hmm. would, would they have been driven to do it to something by Prince who's arguably more talented and maybe somehow slightly less weird although that's hard to imagine. I mean you know is that I don't think they would have. I think that there was something that sort of he spoke to them directly and I 
I I think that that can't be understated. I mean, I, I agree with you that, you know, as a sort of going musical concern, he certainly hadn't been a big deal here. But I think there was still a lot of play in a foreign, you know, over overseas. And I think, no, uh, especially in Japan, for example. Yeah, no, um, and I think beyond that, I think that he his influence on a lot of modern musicians, uh, Justin Timberlake and other people like that, was significant as well, even if they didn't go around saying, oh, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, okay. you know. You know, for example, somebody like Elton John has, you know, constantly stayed part of the pop culture relevant scene. I'm not sure that you could argue that Elton John has been more influential than Michael Jackson. I don't, no. I don't know about that. And that's with, and that is with Elton John like showing up to perform with these new people. You mm-hmm. know, who are we doing this stuff? So okay. I don't know, but it's it's kind of a sad ending, I think. Yeah. Um, because you kind of wish that he had had this opportunity to maybe see if he could have redeemed. I, I don't know if redeemed this himself is the, is the right word. But it's like Marilyn Monroe. These people that these people that are bigger than life, they have to go out like a candle. There's just no way. There's no way for them to actually sort of to grace. Yeah, I just yeah, can't. It's interesting. You know? I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe I mean, the when only you have person I could just... see. I mean, like Paul Newman. You know, right? That guy was larger than life and had a nice long life. But he was nice... a class act all the way through. And you know the difference? He was married to Joanne Woodward, he who was grounded also him. grounded him and was also just as nice and just as down to earth. And and he respected greatly. And I think that's the big difference. I think that he had someone. I mean, just think about it, Clea. If either you or I didn't have each other, what would right. happen to us? Yeah, I'd probably be wearing one glove. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, do we All have right. a rating for oh, Michael Jackson? Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Seven, eight... Seven, oh, I'd say I'd say seven. probably a seven. And it's weird to sort of I don't know if we can separate rating the musician and the person. I don't think so because he kind of intertwined no, them himself. Intran- yeah. So I would say I'd probably agree with you that a seven makes sense. I mean, okay. it's some of the stuff, the decisions that he made, the things that he did, not so good in some cases, but you know, and it's unfortunate what happened to him in some ways as a sort of victim of his own celebrity. But his talent, I think, was undeniable, and the reaction that people have had to him, even if it is perhaps a little bit over the top, as Russ pointed out, still sort of demonstrates. I think the value that he had to people. So, okay. so I'd say a seven makes sense. So a seven out of ten. And if you have any thoughts about Michael Jackson, uh, those are regular listeners or not regular listeners. We'd love to hear about them in the comment section. Okay, up next is the book Acacia, and you can find out more information about this book on the author's website. Uh, you can find him at David Anthony Durham. That's D A V I D. A-N-T-H-O-N-Y D-U-R-H-A-M dot com. And I should as again, just as I mentioned before, David and I are friends. I know him as a writer and we've, you know, spoken many times. He's actually hopefully going to be contributing a short story to an anthology that I'm going to be co-editing on uh, speculative fiction and politics. But I just had a chance because I'm going to be meeting up with him in a couple of weeks at uh, ReaderCon, a convention where we're both going to be. And I wanted to make sure that I had read this book so I could actually speak with him intelligently about it. And so I had a chance to read Acacia. Acacia is the first of a trilogy, which is, I believe, called the Other Lands Trilogy, if I'm not mistaken. And the second book, which is, no, it's just called the Acacia Trilogy. I'm sorry. The second book is called The Other Lands, and that's going to be coming out in a few months, which is, uh, you know, the sort of successor to this. David is not just a fantasy author, actually. He started as a literary novelist, a historical literary novelist. So he wrote something called The Pride of Carthage, which is a sort of speculative concept of Hannibal trying to take over Rome. He's also read Gabriel's story, which is about, I believe, African-Americans in the Old West. And so he sort of comes from a different background, although he says that he was really moved by fantasy in his earlier life. Yeah. Like Hannibal Lecter? No, 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 no. Like the guy, Hannibal the the leader. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry, because that kind of threw me there. 
That's fine. That he was um, kind of, I mean, yeah, Hannibal, that's the guy extremely who, creative. He was the military but, leader right here. Yeah, yeah. no, no, I, I just, I mean. You know, the dude of the elephants. That guy. <laughs> okay, anyway, so he so. wrote um, Pride of Carthage as well. And he also taught in an MFA program on the West Coast, but he has just left. He just quit his job and has moved back out east to Massachusetts, where he and his wife have a home and his children, because he liked the weather and everything else back out east, which I think... Uh, in the West Coast. That's another reason he was in California. And oh, I think okay. that's another reason he, you know, he's he's a man after my own heart, because it's the same kind okay. of thing I would have done as well. Acacia is a large book, um, <laughs> and it's uh, about 750 Thick, pages. Pages. It's a thick book, yes. And it basically tells the story of an empire which is sort of in the midst of uh, turmoil. I don't want to get into the details without giving it away, but essentially there, it tells the story of four children, the four royal children of the Acacian line, and what happens to them after this big traumatic event, which I won't get into, affects their lives forever. And mm-hmm. so it basically follows the four viewpoints of these children as they are spread to the four corners of the empire. So it's kind of like Return of the Jedi, where it goes from one child that cuts it's like yes i would say this one just landed you know with the ewoks okay now cut and then this one's you know flying and yep been compared except without the ewoks yes there are no ewoks and if there are ewoks i think you should tell me no there are no ewoks he uh, has often been compared to george rr martin with some justification because martin very similarly has these large epics which also are somewhat dark this is definitely darker than a lot of the standard fantasies that you will read including my own a lot of his work is kind of a meditation on empire itself. In fact, mm-hmm. the uh, the front cover, Cleo, which you might be able to see here, mm-hmm, has the tree. picture of an acacia tree, and then the roots are actually formed as chains mm-hmm. um, underneath the ground. And I think that's a really striking image because it really kind of fits what the book is about. A lot of what you discover is that the, there are, there, it's very hard to find the good people or the bad people. The Acacians have run this empire allegedly benevolently, but when you sort of look below the surface, you mm-hmm. see that there's actually a lot of other terrible stuff that they've been doing as well, mm-hmm. and to that they're the peace. to keep the peace. And a lot of people, uh, you know, who have been sort of oppressed by them have been angry about this. Mm-hmm. But those people are not the greatest people either. You know, they right. have also done all these things. Okay. And so there's a little bit of that Martin. I don't like anybody in the book problem and that's an issue because right. it's very difficult when you like no one to sort of really get into the book where I think he differs from Martin and I, th- I think actually makes the book in my mind better than Martin's work is number one there is some kind of hope I think underlying this book oddly because there are especially in the children there is this sense that the children are trying to come to terms with a history that is 20 generations and more old in other words mm-hmm. these crimes that their forefathers and forefathers forefathers committed are not their crimes and they are trying to figure out ways to sort of come around those crimes they do so with sort of they don't all do it that well I should say and there are a lot of kind of setbacks and things like that but there is I think a little bit of sense that maybe the younger generation could get us past this. Um, do they and, think do the thing like in South Africa with the apartheid where they? Uh, well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, there there is a sense that maybe maybe something like that could happen. Although idealism continually runs smack up against the realism of what the empire is actually facing. Okay. So that's one thing that I think makes it better. The other thing I think which makes it better is this really is you know topical, and what you start realizing is the empire is the evil. 
you know, the mm. evil thing is not the people involved in it. The evil is the empire itself, that imperialism really creates these incredible imbalances. And, you know, anyone who studies history knows this to be true. You know, the evil of the British Empire was the empire itself. You know, you could find heroes and villains on all sides of that equation. But imperialism made both the oppressors and the people that they oppressed worse because of the roles that it cast them into. it's so focused on having to maintain itself. Yep. And it becomes a self-fulfilling thing. Yep. uh... Even idealists end up losing sight of it because of, you know, but this is the way things are done on the ground and everyone dislikes everyone else and everyone has long memories about this wrong was done to their fathers and this wrong was done. So I think that it's extremely topical and in that regard, very important. I think it's kind of an important book to read and there's no question about the depth of what this book can get into. Has the United States become an empire? There's no question that there are a lot of people who think that the United States is an empire. What may save the United States is that its empire was smaller and constrained more by international law than the other ones were. And so I think that may end up sort of, and it's not that the United States went out of its way not to do this. I think if the U.S. had had its druthers back in the early 20th century, it would have created the biggest empire you could come up with. But I think it wasn't really able to do that. And that's a good thing because we would otherwise be reaping the sort of fruits of that as it is. I think Mm -hmm. if you look at some of the situations in the Middle East, you could argue that some of our I won't say imperial yeah, adventures, what but we sowed in the Middle East to a sure. degree, absolutely. So is everyone, you know. But a lot. Remember, the Middle East originally started with you know the British Empire carving things out. You know, the British and the French kind of you know literally drawing yeah, borders drawing of countries yeah. and mm-hmm. doing things like that. Same thing in Pakistan and India. So, so I think this is a very topical book in that regard. Okay. It's not perfect. I, I think it is a little long, and I think it's so. I think it's so well crafted and so meditative that sometimes you feel yourself sort of drifting off. He really relies a lot more on the psychological state of the characters Mm. than he does on dialogue between and among the characters. Mm. And there were times when I was wishing for them, can you just talk more instead of being in everybody's head? Um, And it felt in a way kind of like a very academic exercise in that regard, where he's really exploring the different ways that each of these people imagine their own situations. But that said, I think the work is incredibly balanced. I think he gets an enormous amount of credit for producing, thank God, an actually multicultural fantasy, a legitimately multicultural fantasy, Mm -hmm. not one that just says, oh, look, there's some black people over there. Okay, moving on back to the real heroes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, actually incorporates different cultures and does so in a very convincing and realistic way. Island cultures, African-influenced cultures, things like that, and is able to put them together in a world that is sometimes suspicious of those differences and in some ways that sort of draws people together. Again, because there is a little bit of an undercurrent of hope in that as well, which I think is important too. So he does a lot of good with that. And he also provides two female characters very strong roles, two of the children are female. Mm -hmm. And both of them get very different kind of characterizations and very realistic kind of characterizations. And so he deserves great kudos for that. And so um, I was very impressed with this book. As I say, not perfect, but I think very, very good. And as a lot of people have commented, this is his first fantasy. You know, this is his first foray into it, even though he's been influenced by fantasy. This is the first time that he really launched himself into it. And the commercial and critical success sort of demonstrates that he was successful there. So, so, um, I would give this, I think I would say probably an eight out of 10 because I I think you were going to say a seven. Yeah. Well, I was thinking seven. I'm, I'm sort of torn because I think it's maybe seven for execution, which is still very good, but an eight in terms of what he's trying to accomplish, um, because I really admire that he's sort of breaking out of the standard mold, and yet he's not abandoning epic fantasy altogether. So I wish I could give like a 7.5. I don't know. Do you want to – you haven't obviously read the book, so I don't know. Do we, no. I, I really don't know whether to say a seven or an eight. I think you should do seven. 
Okay. Because maybe the second book will be more successful in actually how it produces what it's trying to achieve. Which is not to say that this doesn't do a lot of that, but there were aspects a maybe. Seven is, is, you know, Yeah, seven's good for us. Good. No, I would say that's true. So, okay. So a seven out of ten, a very valuable and good and interesting book. And if you have any interest either in history or fantasy, I think it's worth your while to check it out. Acacia, it's spelled A-C-A-C-I-A, again by David Anthony Durham. Check it out and let us know what you think. Okay, last on the docket for tonight is the Hunt for Gollum movie, and you can find this at www.thehuntforgollum.com, T-H-E-H-U-N-T-F-O-R-G-O-L-L-U-M. Your name and your purpose. I'm a ranger of Arnor. I swear allegiance to the seven stars and seven stones. And the one white tree. You're a long way from Arnor, Ranger. And you speak the password of the Dúnedain, yet I know you not. I'm Erethir, son of Argonathan, sent to gather news of the East. Then we are kinsmen from afar. I'm Strider. I've heard your name. Friend. These lands will not be safe much longer. Raiding orcs prowl the shores of Anduin, plundering the villages by night. Soon there will be even this side of the mountains. The servants of the enemy multiply as his strength increases. Alas, there are now so few of our kin. What of your journey? I track a creature. A spy of sorts. Small in size, yet cunning. I have seen new breeds of orc, but they grow larger and stronger, not smaller. This is no orc. Its tracks are like those of a hobbit. It must not fall into the wrong hands. This may be of no use, but I've heard rumors, whisperings of a nameless fear. In the outlying villages, they speak of a ghost that drinks blood. A horror that lurks in the trees, snatching a sleeping child from a cot, a fresh fish from an open window. The villages lock their doors tight against the dark. This is a fan-produced film, 45 minutes in length about, about the hunt for Gollum, when Gollum leaves the mountains to find the One Ring, the Ring of Sauron, for those of you who don't know anything about Lord of the Rings. this is in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but it's described very briefly, right, by... uh, Right, it's kind of narrative, like, what happened? Oh, well, we went looking for him, and blah, blah, blah. So this sort of imagines what that's like. And so it reprises a lot of the roles of the original. Aragorn is in this very prominently, so is Gandalf. Obviously, Gollum is in there. Mm-hmm. There are orcs again. There those are, are other much just those three characters, other rangers and things like that. Well, yeah, but the elves are there too, and so. But I mean, the three main characters. Yeah, the three main characters are Gollum, Gandalf, and Aragorn. Yeah, that's right. right. And in case you're wondering how on earth did they produce this without being sued, I'm still not a hundred percent sure about that. I mean, what they keep telling everybody is that we're not making money from it at all. It was totally nonprofit. Blah 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 blah. Nonetheless. 
the fact that they use similar music, similar style. I mean, you could imagine this almost being a practice film for the I Lord of the Rings it, movies. Actually, when I saw it, I thought that they had taken clips from the Lord of the Rings movie. That's right, yeah. That's how... I thought w- that that's what they had done. Right. And I thought that it had been allowed because they weren't making any money off of it. And usually that's the way they get out of it. If you don't make any money, then you're fine. You're, well... And you're, you can go to the website and you get to watch it for free. That's right. And and that's kind of fine. I just... I mean, they're gonna, the actors who were in this and the performers and the producers are going to have to be they might be picked up for use on the new hobbit movie that's going to be coming out in a year or two or they might be used for something else i mean i don't know but for me if i were the tolkien estate i'm i'm stunned that the tolkien estate hasn't dropped the hammer because it's as clea said like it's so close to the originals that they literally seems like it was part of the original film they didn't get permission no i mean i think they said that they've been in contact with the the tolkien estate the whole time it's just that it, it still seems to me like it's so close i can't imagine they would do this but in any case i mean i'm happy that they have been and i'm yeah. glad that it's, it's still good. up there. I mean, a lot of the special so. effects were very good. Um, yep. And there's a good battle scene. Okay dialogue. Okay dialogue. Really good acting. Yeah, really sort of surprisingly good. A lot of these fan films, they kind of feel like fan films, yes, you know, where you can yes. tell this that... This does not feel like a fan film. This this is not like, you know, sort of live action role playing, if you know what I mean. This is an actual film. And I think they did this, something in the order of like, it cost them like 10000 or $15,000 to make or something total. And it's pretty... It's pretty amazing when you look at it, what they were able to do, because you don't watch the film and think, oh, that's really stupid. You know, yeah. like, and I, part of the way that they do that, by the way, is when they sh- they very, very seldom show Gollum himself. They kind of, for different sort of clever ways of filming it's it and everything, the shadow they thing. keep him out of the, the, the camera. And I'm sure that's because it would have been impossible to figure out a way to animate him from a computer standpoint, the way they did the Lord of the Rings or it would have cost them a fortune. So they were able to avoid that. But a lot of the sort of prosthetic outfits, the orcs, the way that they're dressed, the outfits and everything is extremely realistic. And the plot itself, I thought, was kind of interesting, too sort of why they have to get Gollum. You certainly get a lot of respect for Aragorn, yeah. you know, and no, what he's, he's able to do. You get to see, I mean, I don't think you've got to see that much in The Lord of the Rings, his type of, I guess he's not a human, but he, what you just No, no, he's human. He's human. But, but he's, he's descended from the Numenorians who he's, lived he's far, special, far longer than normal humans. Yeah, cool, very strong guys. So yep. you get to see that in this. And yeah, I mean, I think part of the, the reason that The Lord of the Rings was so expensive is that they did like go really out of their way with all of the, the different armor and stuff like that. So if you cut corners in that guard, which is possible, it doesn't have to be, you know, made by actual blacksmiths, then then you could probably get it done because there aren't a lot of cast and it is just a matter kind of of it being directed and written well. I, I didn't like What's Her Face. She kind of annoyed me. Who was What's Her Face? Arwen? Yeah. Yeah, well that wasn't that wasn't as good. I mean, I think the three the principals, you know, um Adrian Webster is the one who played Aragorn. I thought he did very well. Though it's interesting his description is as a strong actor with a thoughtful gaze. I was like, well, I, I guess that's true. And then Patrick O'Connor plays Gandalf. Both of them I thought I didn't really feel any false notes from them. Hmm. And I thought the orcs, by the way, the ones who played the orcs did a very good job in yeah. representing the movement and and so forth. Arwen was a little bit eh. but I mean, I don't know whether that's her or whether that's just sort of the direction didn't handle it well. Right. And I thought the direction did very well for most of it. You know, I think the uh, directors and producers, I'm trying to find out, the director is Chris Bouchard, and he did a, a really good job, I think, in presenting something that one could be proud of, and you wouldn't think, oh yeah, this is just some stupid fan film. This actually, I think, is as good as Grayson. Remember that one I showed you, which was that sort of eight-minute trailer that was supposed to be this alternate Batman and Robin mm-hmm. script? Mm-hmm. I was, I'm still, I still think that's the most unbelievable, blow-you-away kind of trailer that you're ever going to find. But even that 
that was like seven minutes or something, whereas yeah. this is 40 full minutes with a fully developed story and the whole bit. So yeah. Bouchard, I think, and the production crew deserves a lot of credit for doing this very effectively. And not sk- they don't sort of steer away from big scenes in a lot of yeah. cases. Like, you know, they have like a fight at one point with Aragorn against like 15 orcs. Yeah. That's not easy to stage. You know, you would think maybe, okay, you fight like a couple orcs, you can maybe do that on a budget. But 15 orcs, that's that's not, that's no joke. So, yeah. so I think he did a very good job in creating a pretty ambitious project. And it's been so successful. I think it had now something like 2 million views or something like that, that they're actually going to be coming out with a new movie in the fall called The Rangers, which is something about sort of following along with Aragorn's people. I don't know a lot of the details, but um, they're going to be doing that not for profit as well. Cool. And all of these are sort of kind of, you know, tidying you over until the new Hobbit yeah. movie is coming out in the next year or so, yeah. which we will be reviewing, of course, when they come out. But I was impressed. I liked it. And you, you liked it, Claire? Yeah. I gave it a seven. Solid. So we have three sevens? We yeah, have we Michael want, Jackson? I want, to, I want to be seven, seven, seven. Seven, 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 seven. Okay. So I wonder if they like the fact that Michael Jackson, uh, David Anthony Durham's Acacia, and The Hunt for Gollum are all sevens. I wonder if there's a connection there. I don't really well, know. I think it speaks to, you know, how things can kind of parallel in different genres and different things. I guess that's true. Oh, I didn't mention that Acacia has been optioned for film, by the way, which doesn't mean that it will be one, but I could definitely see how it could be. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's a tie-in. So that's a, then maybe that'll be a film. So this is a film. You can tell him when you see him at Ritacon that we thought he was as good as Michael Jackson. I'm sure he'll he be, says. I'm sure, and that, that, and he was good as an independent 40-minute film about The Hunt for Gollum. I'm sure right. he'll be very excited about both of those You should things. pull out the list. You should make a list of all the sevens. All the sevens. Yeah, that. I'll be happy to do that when I have about 20 hours of spare right. time. I'll go right. I'll get right, right into that. Well, someone, maybe someone, one of our listeners can do that. Yeah, our dedicated listeners, and we have them, uh, might be willing to do that. So we're going to say seven out of ten for the Hunt for Gollum. You should check it out. And when you go to the website, they have places where you can watch the film in high definition. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have to wait for it to download. I would recommend you do wait because there are some dark scenes. I mean, like physically dark, where he, at one point he has to fight a Nazgul, for example. And if you don't have a high quality film, it's not going to come out well on your computer so i'd recommend you download the high quality film because it's worth it and then check it out and again let us know what you think okay so thank you all for listening as always uh, that's going to do it for us for this week again you can check us out at furtherreview.net and please send along your suggestions for future things for us to review we will be back from seattle in about a week and a half two weeks or so and uh, hopefully by then we will have a whole set of other things of review goodness for you guys as well until then upon further review i'm greg i'm clear see you soon The proceeding was a presentation of Upon Further Review, hosted at www.furtherreview.net. As usual, all rights are reserved. If you liked what you heard, please vote for us at podcastalley.com, vitalpodcast.com, and add us to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com. You can leave us a comment at www.furtherreview.net, drop us a line at upon at furtherreview.net, or give us a phone call or send a fax to 206-339-UFR1. That's 206-339-8371. And lastly, don't be afraid to express your opinions. We know you have them. Let them out. Feel the power. Or you could just blindly accept whatever we tell you is fact. That'll work.
That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, it though. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo.